about an hour later, I get an email from Lauren. Hey, Mr. Nunez, just following back up with you. I was indeed able to change your order to Wednesday. And I found three companies that sell multiple glass cases. Here's the link to each one of the companies. Wow. Come on, game over. Game over. I'm in. You got me. I'm in your ecosystem yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a Take brand. Take all my money here. Yeah. Showing people you give a shit. You're showing me that you care. You won't find every answer in a book. Books take too long to publish while marketing moves fast. Join Sonia, founder of LA-based creative agency Ona, as she chats with the sharpest brand builders in the game. Top CMOs, founders, strategists, and creatives sit down to share their latest strategies, tactics, and ideas. Tune in to get the actionable insights you need to build a winning brand. Welcome to Brand Camp. Welcome to the show today. This is someone I've had the pleasure of working with and for. Uh, and not to mention, we got to do some really epic work together. We worked on Kevin Durant's business, Kyrie's business, Summer LeBron's is serious. Mm-hmm. Summer is very serious. LBJ hits Miami. Let's go. Yes, yes, yes. And and epic offsite. And not to mention our guy Kobe, right? Someone you have become very close with over the years. Rest in peace. Still, um, still trying to get over it. Yeah, still, still, still really, really difficult situation. And had this Corona thing not hit, I think we would have still, still been talking about it to this day. And, and the best thing I can say about you, Arturo, is that you always enabled me to do great work, right? I love that. Thank uh, you. We, while I was at Nike, you might not remember, I know because I'm a stats geek, we had four of the five most retweeted tweets at Nike. Oof. And what most people don't know is that there are categories within Nike so there's Nike, there's Nike running, there's basketball, which we worked on. There's football, all competing there's for attention, all competing for attention. Yes. And internally that, and, that and externally. Internal competition, internally and externally. And that internal competition drove us just as much as external competition, which was great. Absolutely. And we ha- held some records among all of those categories. We created Summer is Serious, which was at the time known as best integrated campaign Nike's ever done, physical and digital and commercial. Mm. Talk and then, uh, should I need to put this yeah. stuff on my resume? How did I miss that? You're right. <laughs> I, I know. I, listen, I got you. I got you. The stats. I love it. I got the stats. Uh, and, and we worked on Kobe's, you know, getting injured, coming back. Yeah, Epic work yeah. there on Powerful. the part of brand. I have the dubious Nike distinction of being on stage with Kobe when I made him tear up based on that very campaign yes. that you mentioned. I also have the dubious distinction yes. of making, uh, the MMA fighter tear up too. Anderson Silva tear up on stage too. That's a separate story. But yes, <laughs> very powerful, impactful Amazing. work. Yeah. Yes, very. Uh, and, that, and that's just the beginning of it. I mean, we did so much epic work together, too much to mention. Sure. Um, and do you remember the phrase that you used to always say when you wanted us to get to work? I was, it was either make it hot, make it happen, or the, the catchphrase for the team was basketball thuggery. <laughs> That's how we were going to dominate everything. Basketball thuggery, let's go. Don't let them tell you no. We're Nike basketball, let's go. <laughs> I was specifically thinking of make it hot. Make it happen, make I it hot. I the room, Sonia, make it hot. I don't care what you guys do, just make it hot. And that's the reality. A lot of times people want permission to do things, right? And they want to know like, all right, well, am I going to get reprimanded if I do X, Y, or Z? And the reality yeah. is that success matters, right? So my, yeah. my kudos to you, my, my advice to you guys is like, yo, just make it hot. Nobody can complain if it's yeah. hot. <laughs> if it resonates with customers, if it builds business, who's going to be mad about that? Right, yeah. exactly. So, so fig- that's, that's the bar, make it hot. That is, that is the bar, make it hot. So why don't you do a quick intro about who you are, sure. where you came from, and what you're doing now? Sure, um, sure. Again, for the, for the audience, for those that don't know you, because I'm sure course. just our friends are going to watch this. So. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Hey, so uh, my name is Arturo Nunez, uh, originally born and raised in New York City, Harlem, New York, a proud native of Harlem, New York. Uh, my parents came to New York in the 50s, Cuban and Venezuelan parents, so Hispanic uh, background and lineage. Um, I've spent the last 35 or so years of my life uh, in marketing. And I started those years uh, at companies like Johnson & Johnson, Colgate Palmolive, PepsiCo, uh, then Diageo, for those who don't know what Diageo is, Tanqueray, Hennessy, Don Perignon, Moet Chandon, Johnny Walker, you name it, high-end spirits was Diageo. Uh, and then transitioned to sports where I, I joined the NBA uh, in a number of different roles, eventually becoming uh, 
vice president, managing director, general manager of NBA Latin America and U.S. Hispanic. At a very interesting time, the NBA was really becoming a more international league. So I had an opportunity to represent and tell the stories of Hispanic athletes in the league and kind of use those guys as conduits of bringing new consumers uh, to the various products that the NBA had. And then transitioned from that job into a job at Nike. Um, I started out as the head of uh, Latin, no, actually, yeah, the Americas marketing. So I had Latin America and Canada. Uh, that transitioned into emerging markets where uh, we had, shit, I spent 80% of my time on an airplane. We had Latin America, India, Africa, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, Korea, the Philippines, you name it. Uh, under that, it was really an exciting time to get to know uh, young customers from all over the world and young athletes from all the world and tell athlete stories and stories of athletic achievement really exciting for me, probably one of my favorite jobs ever. And then I got kind of pulled kicking and streaming out of that job because I loved it so much into the global basketball marketing job. So I was the head of, of the vice president of global uh, basketball marketing for Nike. And at that time we had, you know, athletes like LeBron, KD, Kyrie, Kobe on our roster, Paul George, et cetera. Uh, so a great cadre of athletes. Um, and I ran that uh, enterprise. That's where you and I did a lot of our best work together. Uh, and then I thought I would retire at Nike and I got a phone call and I always used to say, Nike's great. It's been great to me. Um, I, this will probably be my last job ever unless something in tech calls. I've never done tech before. And I got a call from Apple, uh, with an interesting job to lead up their marketing efforts in Latin America. So I became the head of marketing for Apple for Latin America. Um, and that was, you know, tech oriented role, different ballpark for me, super interesting work. And then um, two years ago, I retired from that role at Apple. And now I am doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm doing some consulting. I own some businesses outright. I am an equity partner in other businesses. So I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I promised myself when I left corporate America after 35 years that I would stick to two guiding principles. Uh, one is projects that I'm passionate about and have some level of passion and interest in. And two, working with people that I really care about and respect. So I'm trying to stick to those and my various projects so far. So good. Uh, the, very, the busiest retired person you've ever met. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm sure Miami isn't bad either. Not, Portland not, to Miami, right? Not a bad place to be. Not a bad place to be. Despite COVID even. At least you have beautiful days. So you work with some of the most globally recognized brands. Mm. What do you think they have in common and how do they differ? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think consistency of purpose and culture, consistency of the way they follow their North Star. Like all these brands are grounded in the North Star, particularly the, the better ones. I don't want to tell you that all those brands are great. They all are big companies. Yes. Um, and some are better than others when it comes to marketing. But I think the good ones um, are really grounded in the North Star. I think when you're a big company and you have a lot of cash, there's a lot of things you could do, but there's the things you should do. Those things are not the same. You know, yeah. uh, you know, from our Nike time, you could slap a swoosh on anything and sell it. You know yeah. what I mean? How do you stay consistent, right? How do you stay true to your North Star and engage in business activities that are really going to be accretive for your brand? I think the best companies know that. So great companies know what they stand for, who they serve and where they're going, right? Yeah. Where, who, what they stand for, who they serve and where they're going. So I think the, the other part of that is really being attuned to their customers, understanding the customer yep. uh, and respecting the customer and, and listening to the, the voice of the customer. Um, really important. The companies that do it really well uh, make it a habit and a practice within the culture of the company to do that really well. And you know, what's interesting. I've been talking to people and I've been working with startups ever since. And mm -hmm. I've been talking to people over the last week, bar none, every single Nike person says consumer first. Absolutely. Start with the consumer at the center. Absolutely. And I, I don't, and everybody can pay lip service to that. Mm. People can, oh, we think about the consumer, mm. but you really, really need to think about their wants, their needs, yeah. their, yeah. their yeah. desires that they, yeah. don't, they don't even know that they have. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They don't you know, Apple's yeah. so great at that. Leading a customer to where the, where the business, the future is going, right? If they had asked Henry Ford, I mean, sorry, if Henry Ford had asked customers, they would have said faster horses. But he yes. knew something they didn't. So he was like, no, 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 we're going here. We're not going there. I'm going to solve your problems yeah. better than you think they can be solved, right? The great companies do that. You mentioned Apple. Apple is about surprise and delight. How do we surprise and delight our customers at every turn? I'll give you two uh, examples of this, which I think are really interesting examples. 
Um, one is a personal example that happened to me. The other one I read about today, they both happen to be in the glasses business. Um, I remember I'm a Warby Parker customer. I'm a loyal Warby Parker customer. I've been wearing the glasses mm-hmm. for a long time. I have dozens of pairs of glasses. And I traveled a lot. As I mentioned, I spent 80% of my time on planes in some of these roles. Um, so I, I like to carry more than one pair of glasses, you know? So one time I called Warby Parker because I had an order pending and I wanted it to arrive before I took off for a trip. So I wanted to track the order. I called and after two rings, a human being answered the phone. Hi, this is Lisa Warby Parker. Can I help you? Excuse me? Wow, a human being answered the phone. Unbelievable, right? So I'm already yeah. surprised, right? I'm already surprised. So I start talking to this woman. I give her the tracking information. She looks it up. She's like, your glasses are going to be there on Friday. And I ask her, is there any way to get them on Wednesday? And she figures out how to expedite that. So I'm once again delighted. She figures out how to expedite it for Wednesday. And then I said to her, hey, by the way, do you guys have any glasses cases that fit more than one pair of glasses? Because I travel with multiple pairs and I, I don't want to carry multiple cases. And she said, no, we don't, we don't have anything like that. We don't carry, I, don't, I know what you're saying, but we don't carry anything like that. I said, okay, great. And I got off the phone with her. I don't know, her name was Lisa or Laura, Lauren, whatever. I got off the phone. About an hour later, I get an email from Lauren. Hey, Mr. Nunez, just following back up with you. I was indeed able to change your order to Wednesday. And I found three companies that sell multiple glass cases. Here's the link to each one of the companies. Wow. Come on, game over. Game over. I'm in. You got me. I'm in your ecosystem yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a Take brand. Take all my money here. Yeah. Showing people you give a shit. You're showing me that you care, which is different yeah. than me calling and hearing a recording said, your call is very important to us. Obviously, it's not. <laughs> or you'd be talking to me right now. <laughs> So I think yeah. that's one, one example. And then the other one I just read about the other day, I thought it was amazing. There's a guy who had a pair of sunglasses that he really loved. And the sunglasses got mauled by his dog. And they got so mangled and destroyed that he couldn't even see the SKU number on the sunglasses. Oh, wow. So he wrote to the company. And I'm going to forget the brand name. I wish I could give him a shout out because they did a great job. He wrote to the company and said, listen, I had these glasses to the picture. They were mangled and destroyed by my dog. I want to send them to you. I don't want free glasses. All I want is the SKU number so I can order there again. Again, they're my favorite pair of sunglasses. And he waited and nothing happened. He didn't get no, res- no response, no email back, no nothing. And three days later, a brand new pair of the same sunglasses showed up with a dog bone in the box. Wow. You got me. Take all my money. Here's my wallet. Yeah. Here's my card number. Customer for life. Retention. Yeah, you give a shit. You give a shit. And it, yeah. it doesn't take billions of dollars to do that. It just takes care of someone caring, someone in the system deciding I care enough about this customer to make their experience special. That's the game. Yeah, that's amazing. That is Mm. that is those are good examples. When you mentioned and I think this is also interested. So interesting. People talk about mission driven brands all the Mm. time. Right. Mm. And you kind of alluded to it with the North Star. Right. This idea that and, and and by the way, mission driven does not have to be some social good. Right. Like that's like the biggest misconception now. Oh, right. we're a mission driven brand. Right. So, you know, we we feed the hungry. That yeah. that is not the case. And and in fact, we know that because app, uh, uh, Nike's mission is inspiration, you know, innovation to, to every athlete in the world. Asterisk, if you have a body, you're an athlete. But they still talk <laughs> to the 17 year old athlete. Right. They still talk right. squarely to at the end of the day. There's a set. If you played sports, there's a 17 year old athlete inside of you. And there's a reason, and even watching like MJ right now and, and, and Kobe, which are two players I connect with the most, yeah. there's a reason that we connect to those players as, as human beings. Maybe we're not achieving the same level of quote unquote greatness, mm. but there's a part of us that wishes we could. Absolutely. There's a part of us, you know, Kobe getting up at 4 a.m. to go train is equivalent to me staying up all night to get a presentation done. It's about what are you willing to do and sacrifice and how do you connect those two for people, yeah. right? Yeah. Those Nike's, two things Nike's mission is consistent to speaking to the athlete within. That's what it's about. Yeah. Everybody has an athlete within. It doesn't matter if you're a dentist. You have an athlete within, you know what I'm saying? And you might exercise that in your physical work that you do. You might be working out, whatever, trying to stay fit. Or you might exercise that in how competitive you are and how much you sharpen your swords at your particular trade. That's the athlete yeah. in you. It doesn't matter. You could be a yes. chef and be an athlete chef. You know what I mean? The idea, the ethos of the athlete is within you, right? And that's the need to excel to be better than you were yesterday, right? And to, to achieve, yeah. to, to strive for greatness. I think that's why strive for greatness actually 
was such a powerful campaign because it resonates with everyone. Yeah. Strive for your greatness, whatever that is. If that's one push-up yeah. today, that's your greatness. Go get that. Go do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's all, at the end of the day, it, it, it matters to you, yeah. right? And that's why the Play Inside campaign is great because anybody can do that. Anybody I, can play inside. Yeah. You mentioned mission-driven. So, you know, so that's Nike's mission. We talked a little bit about Nike, Nike's mission. Yeah. App, Apple's mission is to make beautifully designed, highly intuitive uh, products that solve consumers' problems. And the reason, that, and, and being mission-driven, right? Being, being mission-driven, having that idea of beautifully designed, easy to use, highly intuitive, high-quality products, right? Can allow Apple to go places that other companies can't. So you guys have all seen yes. probably Simon Sinek's why, right? And he says something mm-hmm. very poignant in that. He says like, who would buy an MP3 player from Dell? Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Dell's a computer company. Because they make computers. Yeah, yeah, Apple's not a computer company. Apple makes beautifully designed, intuitive, you know, quality products, right, that solve consumers' problems. So if I told you, if I gave you that criteria, if I said, hey, I'm going to make something that's beautifully designed, super high quality, easy to use, highly intuitive to solve a problem of yours, what could I not sell you? If I told you that thing was a toaster, you'd be like, of course I want that toaster. I want my toast yeah. to be beautiful. I want it to be easy to use. I want it to solve the problem of toasting things in my home. I want it to be high quality, not break down. I can sell you anything. So that's yeah. what Apple has created for itself. That niche with consumers. Super important. Yeah. Super important. You know, just like Nike talks to athletes, in my personal opinion, Apple speaks to creatives. And it really speaks to the creative mm. in all of us. Because I don't know if you remember back in the day, you know, who had the computer, the app, the Mac? It was the web designer. It was the designer designer. Why? Because they needed a more powerful computer. The power to create. That's where they started. That was the benchmark. Now it's like, look at all the cool things you can create with any sort of a Mac product, whether it's a tablet, look at what the watch enables you to do. You just hit on two things, right? I think just like there's an athlete in everyone, right? I think that's an important idea, the idea of the athlete in everyone. I think there's also a creative in everyone. Yes. There's creativity in everyone, right? Everybody has creative expression of some yes. sort. And I think that Apple is a brand that facilitates that expression. Yeah, I agree. And just like, and like the, this idea of like the social good environmentalist with Patagonia, there's something almost in everyone that wants to help save the planet. Yeah. Even if it's not their first thought, like you might not actively be thinking about how do I want to save the planet today. But when you see a brand that so beautifully expresses that, you're like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to buy a better quality jacket that I only need one of? Absolutely. Why Absolutely. not? Absolutely. Whether you, whether you are wholeheartedly that at heart, it's there's an aspiration to wanting to be that way sure. at the end of the day. Sure, sure. Quality, craftsmanship. Yeah, absolutely. Creativity. I mean, we're hitting on all the linchpins of, of the best companies, you know what I'm saying, who foster that. And it's great when you can do it. Yes. But it's even better when you can enable your consumer to do it. You know what I'm saying? That's how you yes. bring your consumer in. Yeah, for sure. So- what is the most valuable thing you've learned about the consumers in your career? All consumers want to be respected. They want to be heard. And in some cases, they want to be seen as part of your brand. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. All consumers want to be respected. They want to know that you respect whatever the problem is that they're, going, that they're going through, that you are working in service of. They want to know that you respect them. You know what I mean? And, the, and great brands work in service of their customers. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so super, super, super important. And the other thing is something that you mentioned uh, a little bit a while ago is, you know, people don't always know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't always know what they want. And so it's up to brands to kind of help guide people, steer people towards what they want, you know? Um, You know, I remember, I'll give you an example of that. I remember being in a uh, Mercer Street in New York at the Bespoke Center. You've been bespoke at the Mercer Street store? No, I have not. Oh, no, maybe I have with you. I have with you. Yeah, the area in the back of the store. Private, secret, by appointment only. Yeah, for sure. So you go into the bespoke area and there's every iteration of anything that you could ever do uh, in a sneaker. There's anything. You could, you name it, you could do it back there, you know? And, uh, you know, for most people who are sneakerheads or maybe listening to this, what a dream come true. I get to go back there and, and fashion whatever I want, you know? And, uh, and you get back there and you realize all the tools that you have at your disposal and it's overwhelming. And you realize very quickly, yeah. I'm not a sneaker designer. <laughs> I have <laughs> no idea. I have no idea what I want. 
And then obviously Nike has thought about that and there's a designer in there with you who says, all right, well, let's talk about the kind of shoes that you like. Let's start with this laugh. Let's start with that. Yeah. And you end up in a place that you really want to be. But you wouldn't do that naturally by yourself, you know? But given that abundance of choice and resource, yeah, so yes. there has to be conduits to help you to make those decisions about where you want to go. So I think great brands steward and shepherd their customers' desires for solutions that work for them. I think it's super important. Agreed. I'm going to pivot a little bit to, you know, I know your, your Instagram is private, but you are a, like, I think I'm an extrovert. You might be like two levels above me, which is like <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> there is somebody who's like actually more extroverted than me. Um, you know, a but, lot of, you know, a you lot know, of introverts are rethinking that right now. I've seen a lot of posts where people say, I promise when this is over, wherever you invite me, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, one of the things you have always said, and it's in your social media profile, which is the the quality of your life is dictated by the quality of your relationships. It's by uh, Tony Robbins. 100%. So how have you benefited in building strong bonds in your career early on? And eventually when you became a vice president, which is basically the top dog, more or less. Yes, you still have a couple levels above you, but Mm. how has relationship building helped you uh, throughout your career, both with people you work with and on the other side as it pertains to change consumer and working with consumers? Yeah, super, super important. The, 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 The power of relationships to affect your life, to affect your work, to affect your, your animus, your energy, you know, uh, we could talk for days about, you know, energy givers and energy, energy takers and that kind of fundamental stuff that happens with people on a day-to-day basis. I mean, super, super important. And that phrase, the quality of your life, the quality of relationships is one that I've always loved. I don't know if Tony Robbins coined that. I think, you know, there aren't a lot of new ideas. A lot of things are remixes. I don't know if yeah. he, did, he remixed yeah. that. It doesn't matter. I heard it from him first. Not important. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been but saying you got it. it. Yeah. And yeah. I've been saying it ever since. Um, I have had powerful mentors and guides throughout my career that have helped me understand the work that I was doing. I have had uh, teammates and people working on my teams that made me look great and made my work better. I have had um, senior level people that believed in what I was trying to do and gave me the resources and did the blocking and tackling to allow me to manifest my creativity and my work. I have had, you know, legions of conversations with consumers who told me stories about their lives that sparked something in me that made me think about a new way to address a solution to a problem for customers. I have had infinite conversations with athletes who have inspired me and told me their story and helped me to craft a narrative for them so that other people could see the story and learn from the arc of their story. I mean, these are all people stories. This is all starts with relationships. Listen, I couldn't have done my job. I joined, listen, when I joined Nike basketball, and I don't want to tell tales out of, out of, out of hand here, um, but when I joined Nike basketball, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy uh, environment to navigate, you know? Uh, and the success yes. of an executive in, in a, 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 a category like Nike basketball was really related to how well you connected with athletes and how well you were able to craft the narrative for athletes and make it part of the product story. All that stuff is super important. And, but again, it starts with relationships. I had to craft a, a, a unique relationship with the head of sports marketing, with Lynn Merritt. I had colleagues like Nico that I had to craft a relationship with in order to get close to athletes to be able to tell those stories. Nico Harrison today, incredible human being, you know, running Nike uh, yeah. Sports Marketing right now. Um, one of my best allies, you know, because he believed in what I was trying to do. I created a relationship with him. Yeah. He believed that I was trying to do. I, re- I still remember the day after a meeting with Kobe where uh, I needed to do a follow-up with Kobe. And he was like, yo, man, here's his number. Give him a call, you know? And that's, that may sound amazing to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, he, he, nobody knows how difficult that, that actually is. That is. is that, what he's really saying is, I now respect you enough to give you enough rope to hang yourself. There's Kobe's number. Good luck with that. <laughs> No, those guys are incredible. And, and it's their job to protect the athlete, Absolutely. right? As well as it is to protect the company, as Absolutely. well as it is to protect their, themselves Absolutely. internally and externally. Because if anybody inside the company who's brand new, super green, got their hands on an asset like 
Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, Serena, name it. Yeah. And just did whatever they wanted yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 could it could totally ruin the not just the Nike brand, tarnish the Nike reputation, but you could tarnish the reputation of a worldwide athlete. Absolutely. And that's why those relationships are so sacred because and and those people are in place to protect those people from ourselves. Absolutely. You know, you, from ourselves. Absolutely. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. And, and you were around for this too. You know, um, the digital of, so, you know, I'm sorry, the discipline of social and digital marketing is still fairly new. You know what I mean? Like granted, yeah. it's been around for a little while, but it's still fairly new. And I always thought it was funny, you know, when I was at Nike and we, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of communication around a lot of athletes and the 360 campaigns, we were doing a lot of stuff that if I was going to do a print ad about Kobe or LeBron, or if I was going to do like a TV commercial about Kobe or LeBron, which I we did many, Kobe, LeBron, KD, you name it. Think about the number of people that had input or had their hands on that, you know? Yes. And I actually mentioned this in a conversation that I had yesterday. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a segue for a second. I'll come back. I mentioned the conversation I had the other day. You and I are in the inside of this and what marketing is, right? So when you see a campaign like Dove's campaign that went terribly wrong and was super racist, or you see the Pepsi campaign that went terribly wrong with the Jenner, right? With the Kardashian. Or you see the Prada or Gucci campaign. Most people on the outside say, oh yeah, somebody made a mistake. Yeah. You and I being insiders know 50 people made a mistake. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 50, 60 yes. people saw that and yes. did, it didn't give them pause enough to say, hey man, has anybody considered X, Y, or Z yeah. as to how might, this might be perceived? So it's so sy systemic, you know what I mean? So. So going back to Nike, if I was doing an ad campaign for LeBron or Kobe, that number might be 100 people. By the time you get Widen involved and Nike yeah. involved, it might oh, be like yeah. 100 people that see that before it sees the light of day, even for a print execution for one of those guys. And yet, at the beginning of social and digital, when this stuff was nascent, when people were still saying, what is this Twitter thing? How does it work? We had like 22-year-old people and interns and shit just press and play <laughs> On yes. Nike Kobe tweets yes. and LeBron yes. tweets. And I'm like, what the fuck? Are you serious right now? Typos and shit in there. Like, like, oh, wait, wait, you can edit it. Oh, yeah, who, no, who put that out? Okay, it. yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was crazy when you think about it. You know what I mean? Luckily, yeah. then obviously, you know, Jesse Stalick and the Gigi Mob came in and we got really yes. smart people looking at this stuff and being thoughtful and mindful. But at first, it was a little bit wide open and you're like, yo, for real? <laughs> Anybody can yeah. just press play and hit millions of people with a story about Kobe. Or that's insane, you know? So just to show you how far that's come. With all, those, yeah. Actually, I think those vehicles now might be more important than, certainly more than a print ad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But equally important as a commercial advertisement, right? The fact that you're, yeah. you know, doing a social media post and talking about somebody, something important about one of these athletes and super important stuff. So it just shows you how much that's changed. We used to joke around and when we were on text chains approving things for mm. finals or whatever. Mm. I used to be like, I wonder how many millions of dollars of salaries are on this text chain right now. You know, like <laughs> approving a tweet, <laughs> you know, that might get 50 retweets or it might get 10,000 retweets. We don't really know because sometimes things blow up and sometimes they fall completely flat. But you're like, this is this is one valuable group chat. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of, lot of pendulums, you know, and that pendulum swung from you know, the intern just deciding himself what to put out to like yeah. hyper, you know, vigilance by management, you know. But I think, you know, the pendulum is, a, is an analogy I use a lot. And I think it applies a lot in terms of marketing in general. I'll take a step back what we were just talking about. To say, you know, um, companies try to be hyper local and hyper relevant to consumers, you know. Like what do the people yeah. in Brazil want when it comes to cleats with Nike, you know, you want to get hyper locally focused and give them exactly what they want. Yeah. But there's another side that says like, yo, we can't be a different brand to different consumers all over the world. We have to speak with one voice and be one brand. Yes. That's where the, the fabulous concept map came from, right? So this idea that, you know, companies have this pendulum that keeps shifting from, we want to be relevant everywhere to everyone. And we want to say one thing consistently about what we stand for and who we are as a brand. I think it's one of the biggest challenges for any marketer to navigate. Because the answer, as in most things, doesn't lie at this extreme or this extreme. It lies somewhere in yeah. the middle, you know? Yeah. It lies somewhere yeah. in the middle. And, and the same with the digital thing we were just talking about. You know, the, the answer lies in the middle because no, you don't want an intern 
putting out something, you know, communication about Kobe that's going to go global. At the same time, you want to be responsive. You don't want to wait till 10,000 people agree <laughs> about what it yes. should say, because that'll never happen before you get it out the door yes. and have a relevant conversation about something that's topical. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to comment on one more thing when we're talking about relationships. Sure. It's been a learning for me recently. And you know me when I was in Nike, I was always really head down, mm. right? I was mm. always really like trying to work my butt off. I frankly did not care who I pissed off. And you also know you knew that about me. I was very like, let's get shit done. Right. No matter what it takes. And, you know, I've even learned over the years that, especially now when I own my own business, not to say that I wasn't good at having relationships with people. I always was good at ha having relationship. I wouldn't have gotten to where I have gotten. Sure. But talent will get you so far, right? Talent and hard work will get you so far. And that biggest push you need is not just from not just from people higher up than you, but from your peers sure. as well. That was one sure. really big thing I learned at Nike. And that one really big thing that I'm learning right now sure. uh, as a business owner is how do I lean on others and ask for help, ask them to make connections or introductions to grow my own business. Sure. Um, and, and it's one thing, you know, and, and I know you've, we've talked about this the other day about how you can't always rely on friends mm. uh, for things, but I do think there are certain people that will help you sure. and you have to talk to enough of them to make those intros and to and make- And you have to find the wherewithal to ask, right? And you have to find, yeah, and you have so, to ask, Sometimes right? it's tough. If sometimes you don't ask, tough. you're not gonna get. Right. You know, all of our business in my small company has come from referrals. Mm. Whether they are, hey, somebody left Nike and then they referred me internally to somebody else or sure. they asked me for an RFP on something. Sure. And we've been doing work for a lot of startups and we also work with Nike on a pretty consistent basis. And I've been trying to figure out, like, how do we get to these bigger brands mm. and these other bigger brands like Patagonia and such mm. without me having a friend go there, right? Mm. That's yeah. like not the only way to do this. Right? Yeah, how do sure, you get, sure. How do you get? You have to ask for help. And, and, and I've had this also with my other clients who have started their brands, their smaller brands. It, I found it very interesting and people are scared to be like, hey, I'm starting this thing, mm. right? I, I was too when I first started. Mm. Hey, I'm starting this thing, help me. Mm. Or, hey, I'm starting this, like, like I recommended to a client a long time ago, scrape your email list, write a letter from the founder and say, this is what I'm doing. Mm. And they never did it. Wow. They never did it because the, I think that there's an internal fear that if you go to your friends to ask for help, you've already failed. Oof. When it's the opposite. Yeah. When it's the opposite. Yeah. Right? And then, your friends and then everybody's are going to be the ones that are going to help you. And not everybody will. Not everybody will. And yeah. you're going to be disappointed. Some people yeah. are going to say they're going to do something. They're never going to do it. Yeah. And and you're going to be, oh, they forgot. And it's not a big of a deal. I have a but startup, I do I have think a startup this, company. I have a startup company. And... Um, Somebody put something online the other day that said, you know, hey, if my friend has a company and he's selling T-shirts and the T-shirts are $30, I'm paying $30, you know? And I think that was, that they meant to say, but they, you know, the, the, the significance of that was, I'm not going to ask my friend for a discount because I know he's in startup mode and I know that he has a fair price yeah. and he has costs and right, whatever, right? So I thought that was interesting because I was in startup mode in a, in a particular company and I, and I kind of reposted that, you know? And I said, you know, if your friend has a company and you believe in the friendship, the business idea, or the product, you should support that company, you know? Yeah. Uh, free product samples is not a sustainable strategy for a startup business. That's not a thing. Nope. Right? And so I kind of, you know, so I, I echoed that sentiment in the quote, you know, in the caption, sorry, and I put up the picture that the guy said, if my friend has a t-shirt company, $30, I'm paying $30. You know, I got, you know, you know my Instagram is private, right? But yeah. By design. I got 85 likes on the post. Yeah. I got two orders. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. How does that here's work? The thing. After, having that, after having that conversation with you, I have some other friends who have st startups of their own. Mm. I'm buying everything from here on out. Look at that. Either I'm buying it for myself yep. or now, because I'm, 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 we're getting better about just sending out thank you gifts. Yeah. I'm buying shit for other people and being like, Listen, thank you. My friend Alex here's Benayan. Here's a coffee from my friend. My friend Alex Benayan wrote a book called The Third Door. I don't know if you've met Alex before. Oh, I know Alex, Yeah, yes. Alex, Third Door. I bought two dozen books on day one, hardcover. My guy bought a book, got, wrote a book. My boy, Lemon Anderson, this T-shirt is actually made by Peralta Project and Lemon Anderson, a poet, playwright, great friend yeah. of mine. As soon as I saw the T-shirts online, I'm copping the T-shirts. I'm trying to support. Now, you know, everybody can't do everything. I can't go out and buy everything, you know what I mean? 
But I'm trying wow. to support my people, you know what I'm saying? Because it matters and because I want to see my people thrive, you know? Yeah. And, and, They're part and, of my and, ecosystem. And honestly, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of it unless we had that conversation the other way of day. So there, yeah. this is a good, co- like, reminder for people to support your friends. Yeah. And that, especially if your friend has a startup, it is fucking hard. Yeah. It is no not joke. easy. That no shit joke. is not easy. Yeah. And they need your help. Yeah. Um, I have, but I have I a friend who's a, who has a startup you- in the in the baby food space. And when I got into my food-based startup that I'm involved in, she told me, yeah, this is no joke. It's hard. It's a grind. And she tells me that. And she's been wildly successful. She's been on Shark Tank. Yeah. She's been all over the media. She's in 2,000 stores around the country, including Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and Kroger's and all stuff. She's doing great. She's like, yo, this is a slog. It's a grind. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing easy about the startup life, you know? But if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, agree. <laughs> Right? It's not supposed to be yeah, easy. I agree. You know, and, and it takes me back to something that Kobe told me. And Kobe said, Yeah, man, if you're not in love with the process, if you're not in love with the grind, you're never going to be great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The gift is the grind, the gift is the process. Listen, Russell Simmons said, I have never had more fun in my life, not on any yacht not at any island, not at any party, as I had in that dorm at NYU starting Def Jam. Yeah. Auditioning LL Cool J in a dorm room. I've never had that much fun in my entire life. The journey is the gift. Climbing, climbing Mount Everest is not about reaching the apex of Mount Everest. Matter of fact, it's the shortest part of the journey. Yeah. Most people that get to the top of Mount Everest take the picture, they're there five minutes, they, they start to yeah. descend. But if I told you today that I would magically teleport you to the top of Mount Everest without doing any of the work and bring you right back to where you are today, would you do it? No. It'd be hollow yeah. and worthless. The gift is donning that pack, drawing that line, getting to base camp, mounting those elevation after elevation. That's the gift. Yeah. That's the work. That's, the, that's what you remember. Watching people fail while you succeed. Like, that's the gift. That's the whole thing. Kobe rehearsing time and time and time again. I sat Kobe on stage. And I asked him, Kobe, what does it feel like to have an 82-point game? And in typical Kobe fashion, he turned to me and said, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't surprised at all. And that may sound arrogant to you, but it's not arrogant because all of the things that I did in that 82-point game were the things that I practiced and repeated infinitely over the course of that summer. And if you were paying attention to my stats, he said, The week before that, I had a 62-point game. The week before that, I had a 60-point game. Then I dropped a 55-point game while I was sick. Except it was coming. Yeah. (laughs) Because I knew that I had done the work. Yeah. And that's that's the gift. That's the gift. The work is the gift. The work is the gift. And and it's interesting because we also talked about mission-driven companies at the very beginning, but also being like a mission-driven person is very, very important as well. You're star. You're personal. You're not showing up every day excited about the thing that you're working on and I know people talk about this at nauseum. And I've had this conversation with some of my employees. You're not going to like everything that happens. I'm mm. sorry. Mm. You're just, you're, there's going to mm. be things about this job you fucking hate that you mm. have to do every single day. Mm. But you need to love the, the work, mm. the, the work itself, the final result that you get to through that work. Like I can sit in front of a deck or like to re- rethink a brand and do research for hours. I mean, I just love it, right? It could be midnight at some point. Mm. It's hard, but I mm. love it because by the time I get to the end, you know, you know, they have that, they're like, what does success look like? And they show the- The iceberg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody sees the bottom. Yeah, nobody sees the slog. And then people go, wow, man, that person's really lucky that they got there. It has nothing to do with luck. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with luck. I have a guy who's in the but- music business. Uh, a good friend of mine from LA, and uh, he's a he's a manager, and he's he's a music manager, and he's also a recording artist himself. And we were talking about management one day. He was like, "Ah, you don't know, man, the stuff that I go through managing these clients. You know, my music clients is so hard. It's such a slog." And I was like, "I can imagine. You know, there's some difficulty in managing athletes. I was at Nike at the time. Like, we do some yeah. athlete management. We, I get it. Can be hard." He's like, "No, but you don't. What you don't understand is that." Every single one of the people that I represent thinks that if it wasn't for me, they'd be Katy Perry. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, yeah, every single person that I manage thinks that if it wasn't for me, they would be a superstar already. 
And I said, come on, man, that can't possibly be true. You're telling me that you have a folk singer that has a guitar who's playing at the Irish pub tonight in Venice, and that person thinks that they should be Katy Perry, but you're not doing your job? He's like, yeah, pretty much. I said, oh, that's outrageous. These people, these people must be delusional. That's crazy. He's like, yeah. yo, man, you know what? They're not delusional. I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to represent anybody who doesn't think they're Katy Perry. I don't want to represent anybody who doesn't think they're going to be Prince. Because the only people yeah. who are going to get to be Katy Perry and Prince are the people that believe they are. The people that believe they are away. That's not to say that everyone that believes they are is going to get there. But certainly everyone that gets there has to believe they are. Yeah. Will, Will Smith, the other day, said on his Instagram, he said, you know, invariably I'll be walking through an airport somewhere and someone will come up to me and be like, my God, Will Smith, you're my hero. I want to be just like you. He's like, and if I sat down and told that person everything that I did and exactly what it takes to be Will Smith, 99.99% of those people won't do it. Won't do it. Even yeah, if I exactly. gave him the exact formula. And, 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 and Will Smith's just one example. I'm sure if Warren Buffett told you the investment strategy, yeah. you still wouldn't do it either. <laughs> I was in college once and we had this writer come in and he was like, you know, it's a really hard to get a job in sports. So why don't you just do something outlandish, like send your resume in a box, right? And he's like, I guarantee none of you are going to actually do that. I, I, I'm sitting here telling you to do that. None of you would do it. You know what, Arturo, I did it. And that's how I got a job at the Clippers. Wow. I sent my resume. Because I remember, like, I kept sending my resume out. I kept sending my resume and getting nowhere. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, yeah. fuck it. I'm like, I'm doing the box thing. I'm going for it. I got the it. box. I like printed it on a nice resume paper, got a manila envelope, made it real pretty, put it in the box. Genius. And they told me, and they told me when they got it, they were like, to the, the I sent it to the VP, mm. the marketing. Mm. And they told me, they were like, somebody sent you a box of feathers. Who doesn't open a like, box? Who doesn't open this? a present? Everyone does. Everyone opens a present. Of Everyone. course they do. That's genius. Makes so much sense. That's genius. But that's the thing. But he's, but it wasn't even my idea. I just listened right. to the guy. I was like, right. he right. I'm going right. to do I that. I just sent it in a box. <laughs> what, what could it hurt? Nothing. I love it. I love it. Anyways, but you know what? So I, few people are, listen, in order to have what most people can't get, you have to do what most people won't do. And a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people aren't willing to do yeah. it. Whether that's putting in extra work, being creative, being something, standing out in some way, most people aren't willing to put in the energy to do that. You know, and that can yeah, be the game. 1000%. Most people want to be just like everyone else, mm. but they want results that are above everyone else's. Right. Yeah. So they want to blend in. They don't want to stand out. I mean, they think they want to stand out, but they don't actually. They're too yeah. scared to because they're yeah. scared of being called out. Oof. They're scared of somebody myself as well. Right. Truth. Like Truth. We, facts. We, We've all done it. You know, you're like, uh, do I put this out there? Do I not put this out there? Sure. Um, I was just having a, a crazy creative conversation with somebody about exactly that, you know? You know, the, the first yeah. time, you know, again, this go with me for a second. This is a little bit of a tangent, yeah. right? Yeah, man, the first time that Buster Rhymes went, yeah, 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 on a microphone, yeah. he had to think like, yo, this is some out there shit. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But fuck it, that's who yeah. I am. I'm going to do it anyway, you know? The first time yeah. Michael Jackson went, hee, 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 on a microphone, yeah. that just sounded weird, right? Yeah. Prince was behind stage somewhere like, yo, do I go with the Ashes Chaps or not? I'm going to go with the Ashes Chaps. Fuck it, I'm Prince. <laughs> right? That's what it Fuck takes. That supreme confidence and belief in oneself that I'm going to go out there on a limb because that's what creativity yes. is, right? You got to believe, you in, your believe in your greatness. Yeah, your own Absolutely. Greatness. Absolutely. No one else is going to believe in your greatness if you don't believe in it. And I, I want to share one other thing yeah. that, that, uh, that you brought to mind when you were talking about what you said a minute ago about you're not always going to like what it, you said. You're not always going to like what happens. I am a firm believer that everything that happens in your life happens for you, not to you. You may not like it, but life is easier if you do. Let me repeat that. Everything yes. that happens in your life happens for you, not to you. You may not like it, but life is easier if you do. That is, that is actually, especially during this time where a lot of people are losing their jobs, a lot of businesses are going out of business. Well, we got to keep our company, but just by a sliver, right? Like we're mm. barely, mm. you know, I had to cut salaries and all that stuff. And I've had conversations mm. with several different entrepreneurs. And one of them said to me, it's going to sound fucked up. She mm. said, I, there's nothing more than I like than a good crisis. 
Oof. And I said, what? You know, like, I'm like, like she's in PR. And I was like, ooh, I like that. She's like, because she's like, it sounds heartless, but it's really going to separate yeah. the big dogs yeah. from the from everybody else. And every, and every crisis, the the there's day, opportunities. And every crisis, you know, the, exactly. one of the first things. Exactly. You know, one of the first things that I did, Sonia, and I'll share with you at some point. I think maybe I promised to share with you the day and I didn't, but I will share it with you, is I started to create a list of winners and losers from this. There are going to be categories, yeah. industries, products that win. And as a byproduct of those winners, there's going to be losers. Like, that's how it works, right? And so there's going to be massive opportunities that come from exactly what we're experiencing right now. And I don't say that in a callous, like, all that matters is capital way. I don't say this is about yeah, money. I, agree. I say there's going to be an opportunity to help people live better lives after this. People are worried about yes. infection. People are worried about contamination. People are worried about all kinds of stuff. There are going to be solutions to those problems, those new problems that we have in this new world that we're living in that are going to help make people's lives better. And there is business there in those solutions. There is. And, and there's undoubtedly people that are, and you might, you know, they're fucked. There's, there's undoubtedly people that probably can't do much and it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do about it. And I really, really feel for those people. But then there's also people who have hopefully hired in a smart enough way that they have a great team and they can figure out how to pivot from this yeah, into yeah. another cat. They have, they might have capital in the bank. Mm -hmm. They, their product might be failing right now, but there might be a way to pivot their product. If yeah. they're looking at the landscape and not sitting around and waiting for it to get better sure. or to go back to normal, because that's pivot. not happening. Pivot. Right? Retool yourself, retool yourself. There's all kinds you of resources smart people. online. There's all kinds of resources online that are free to allow you to retool yourself. I think the most valuable lesson in this is the owner of Netflix mm. talked about this a long time ago. Not right now. He had a company previous to this, and they, they talk about this at length previous to Netflix. It was a software company, tech company as well. And he said, you know, what happened was we would have an issue internally, whether it's a sales issue or a tech issue, whatever. And every time we had an issue, we put a process on it. And you know, every little bit like this, this would put a process on it, press process. So what do you get after a while of doing that? You have people who only like working in processes, who, who don't think from themselves, yeah. but have this, they created a culture of following, just following the rules. You, yeah. it, every time there's a problem, we create a new process. Yeah. Nobody acts right. actually thinking. So you get a bunch of dummies working for you. Yeah. That company he eventually sold and it eventually failed because once they moved from like, I'm making this up, Java to HTML, Bad example, probably not true. But the, mm. once the tech flipped, his company they couldn't ended up react. Failing. Yeah, they couldn't react. They didn't have a culture a of, of creativity where people were solving problems themselves and thinking to be able to pivot on a dime and react to real life circumstances. My business coach has a hard time with me because I'm like, I hate process because I want people to learn how to think, <laughs> think for not themselves, how to follow the rules. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I want yeah. you to know. I want to know that if something happened to me tomorrow and I was laid up in the hospital for ten days because I got corona, then my team Could can figure operate and and figure it out. Mm -hmm. So then when I get back, yeah, maybe they needed me a little bit, but it's not like my company went yeah, under. Yeah, things are still moving. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, there's a lot or of that. Even, you know, better yet, go on vacation. I could what, go on vacation without things falling apart, yeah. you know? When you're out in the world, you see a lot of examples of that. I, I run into a lot of examples of that where I'm like, okay, I understand why we're doing what we're doing because there's a process in place, but anyone with five, you know, ounces of sense would have said, okay, it doesn't apply in this particular circumstance. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of situations like that. Me and Andy have been talking about you because I've been talking to him the last couple of weeks as well, um, knowing that he probably can't do this publicly. He's going to talk to my team and mm. uh, just just about like his thought process. Like, you know, how do you kill a brief? It. You know, yeah, I love how, do, how do you just kill it. a brief? Because really all great work when you work back with an agency starts with a great brief. Starts great with a great brief, 100 percent. 100%. Yeah, and so and he's one of the best in the business. I love that guy. One of the one of oh, the guys I, I miss the most from Nike. He's an amazing guy, uh, and he killed many a brief for me. Um, and he yes. and he was also an adherent to make it hot. He became an adherent, one of the faithful. <laughs> He'd come yes. to my office, man. Listen, I gotta you know. Listen, do we do the thirty with the two million dollar budget, or do we do the sixty that Wyden really wants to do with a four million dollar budget? You got to make the call, Nunez. And I'm like, yo, I got your answer. 
Make it hot. <laughs> You're like, I it doesn't don't matter as long as it's hot. Make it hot. It's got to be hot. <laughs> but then you, again, similarly, then you were able to go to leadership and be like, this ad is half as hot, but this ad is hot and it's four million. Give me the ammo. Give me the two. ammo. Yo, you know, I was always a bit, a little bit of a jokester sometimes in, in meetings, you know, and, uh, and there were a lot of people who didn't understand marketing, you know, like what market, like the value add that marketing was, you know? Yeah. And so I would sit in meetings, you know, it doesn't matter the category of the company, but I would sit in meetings, uh, in Nike meetings, and, uh, and people would say, you know, well, uh, you know, uh, for a lot less money, you know, for a hundred grand, we could just do this. And my response would always be like, you're right. I mean, we could, we could definitely do that. I mean, if we want to be Skechers, cool, for sure. But if we want to be <laughs> Nike, that's not what we should be doing. <laughs> that's certainly, Skechers is always an option. Sure, of course. If we, were, if we were Reebok, we would probably do that. That's <laughs> we're not. actually we're a Nike. great point. So you now have a startup yourself and you know how tight money can be. And we talked about yeah. results, needing results. Yep. But similarly, yep. let's say you were a little bit bigger of a brand. Mm. What kind of value add do you think brand marketing brings at the end of the day? It's a game changer. In, an, in a world of infinite options for customers, where many times product differentiation is not a massive uh, difference between one product and another. Um, you know, listen, at the end of the day, Reebok, Nike, you know, Adidas, Skechers, they all have access to leather and rubber. Yeah. They all have fa factories making products in the East. What's the difference? Well, let me ask you the question this way. Let's go this way. If I gave you two options today, son, I said to you, one, you could have sole ownership of the intellectual property that is the swoosh. Okay? You could own that. Or you could own all of the physical and financial assets that Nike has. The money in the bank, the products, the raw materials, the factory processes, the logistics, everything, except for the swoosh. What do you except take? for the swoosh and the athletes and all, all, the, all the things that are connected to brand, right? What do you take? What do you take? You take the brand. That's the difference. That's the difference. Yes. That's the difference in the game. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So the brand, the branding can be the difference in everything. You know, I'm working on a project right now. I don't want to let a lot of the bag, but I'm working on a project in the coffee space, coffee space. And uh, I'm working with Ethiopian coffee. I don't know if many, if you know this, or many people know this. Ethiopia is the birthplace of the coffee plant. Mm -hmm. The birthplace of the coffee plant. High, high, high quality coffee from Ethiopia. Have you ever heard, you know, all kinds of glorious things about Ethiopian coffee? No, I mean, I mean... From talking to you, I know, but uh, before, no. It exists. It exists. Other than that, not so much. But everybody knows yeah. Juan Valdez, right? Yeah. Everybody knows Colombian coffee. Yeah. What's the difference between those two? As a matter of fact, Ethiopian coffee is better than Colombian coffee. So what's the difference? The difference is somebody decided to market Colombian coffee. Somebody decided to tell a story about the providence of Colombian coffee, to tie it to a place, to tie it to a person, to tie it to an ethos, to a way of doing business. And that's how Colombian coffee has flourished. Brazil has more coffee than Colombia does. Vietnam has more coffee than Colombia does. Ethiopia has better coffee than Colombia does. And yet no one's done the marketing or told the story. And you know- and That's the difference, the branding. That, and you know, you know what is interesting is, to your point about coffee, that's exactly what startup, Starbucks did with Italy. Calventi, whatever. Yeah, of They course. just tied it to Italian coffee. Whether it yeah. is like Italian coffee, tastes like Italian coffee, is made right. like Italian right. coffee, they put some, you know, link it to Italian the tradition. language in Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, they did more than that from a brand perspective, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they were able to charge four bucks a cup. Consistency of the location, being your second home. They did a bunch of things, but yes, yeah. they were able to branding, design and branding were able to create a story that has resonated with people. There's a great story about Starbucks. You mentioned Starbucks. There's a great story of, um, the CEO, when they were first considering going to China, yeah, people said, don't do it. Terrible idea. Don't do it. People in China do not drink coffee. People in China drink tea. You will be abject failure if you go into China. And he tells this story a lot. And he says, uh, and those people were right. People in China only drink, I mean, people in China drink tea. It's absolutely yeah. right. And coffee, because now we have 1,100 outlets in China. Yeah, because he had a... <laughs> Line around the corner as yeah. soon as he opened up the first one. He's not selling of coffee. Brand. He's not selling coffee. He's not yeah. selling coffee. 
He's selling the experience is what he's selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. McDonald's is selling service with a smile. McDonald's is a real estate company that is selling service with a smile. It's not a hamburger company. Most people can make a better hamburger than McDonald's at home. They're not selling hamburgers. They're selling fast service with a smile and they're in the real estate business to do it. Oh, man. It's genius. Like I said, I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) We're already about an hour in. All right. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do volume two at some point. Let's get it. I think I think we should. This is this is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for your no. time. Thank one you more for question. having me. Yeah, yeah. One more question. Let's let, lend it on this. What mm-hmm. book would you recommend? I know you're a big reader to a, a marketer, a mid-level marketer to just get better, get to the next level. To get to, you know, about storytelling or in general? Storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah, you know what? I don't have a book. I mean, there's great stories that I've been told. You know, I, I love uh, Augmandino, The World's Greatest Salesman. It's a great book. It's a great storytelling book. Um, you know, the, the, you want to hear classic storytelling, the old man in the sea, amazing story, storytelling. What I get the craft of storytelling from is from people who actually are artists in the art of storytelling. So the people, so there's a TED talk by a guy named Brian Stevenson. It's about the injustice of the criminal justice system in America. To me, that is storytelling 101. It is engaging. It is thought provoking. It is emotional. He does in 22 minutes what people can't do with hours uh, in books and other videos. Mm-hmm. It's amazing storytelling. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. And Andy, Andy Whiteside and I uh, had this conversation a number of times where I said, you know, you know, you're a marketer. You see a lot of presentations, see a lot of presentations. Uh, and I had a lot of people on my team presenting stuff. And I'd always vet those presentations. You've probably been through the process me before. I want to see the deck before anyone yeah. else sees it. The real meeting happens before the meeting. That's a, we could talk about that for days, but I sit in these presentations, I'm like, this person, so I just watched yesterday an astrophysicist talk about astrophysics on TED, and he had 18 minutes to do it. And at the end of his talk, I kind of understood something about astrophysics, right? Yeah. I, I felt like I understood something about physics. And you've been talking for two hours, and I still don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> That is the art of storytelling. How do I engage you yes. in a concise, incredible manner with a story that's going to resonate with you and give you a call to action? That's the power yes. of storytelling. When you watch Brian Stevenson's TED Talk about injustice in the criminal justice system, it is compelling. It is emotional. It, it drives you to act. That's what great storytelling yes. is. And there's a, that's not the only TED Talk. There's a lot of them that you could go to see that. But... I think those are great vehicles for learning the art of storytelling. And there's actually some storytelling masters who have TED Talks. Please dig into those. You'll see some amazing storytelling and yeah. learn, learn how it's really done. The, the best thing I learned um, in terms of internal storytelling at Nike and that helps me selling clients now, um, and actually Justin Taylor taught me this, even though I, you know, mine and his relationship at Nike, we were arguing all the time. <laughs> but, but one of the really valuable things he, he taught me was how do you get the person as you go slide by slide to keep agreeing with you, mm. right? Like, yes, I see mm. your point. Yes, mm. I see you. So then when you dive into that new point, they've agreed with you up until this time. You presented credible, honest information that they might already know yeah. and feel. Yeah. By the time you start getting to information they are not aware of, They've been agreeing with you the entire time. Absolutely. So it's really hard to start disagreeing. Absolutely. With you, right? The greatest salesmen do that too, right? So, Sonia, if I hear you correctly, you're having a problem with maintaining your plants. And it's really important for you to have an environment that's green where you can maintain your plants, right? Right. Yes. Cool. Okay, so cool. Let me show you about my product <laughs> that's actually yeah. built for right? So I've, I've enlisted you, I've engaged you in the process of the story, right? So you're part of the solution with me. I'm not solving this for myself. I'm solving it for you. Sounds like you're asking for the solution. So I want to give you the solution. Right. I'm helping you. Yeah. Great. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you, my man. Sonia, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for having me. Again, we'll do it again soon. I look forward to connecting with you and, and perhaps working with you on some projects moving forward. Thanks for listening to Brandcamp. Again, I'm your host, Sonia Kamianovich, founder and CEO of Owner Creative, a female-driven, full-service creative agency. If you head on over to our site, onacreative.com, that's O-N-A-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.com and type in your email, 
you will receive our social media playbook that has everything you need to know about developing a winning brand on social. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate it if you share it with your friends and follow us on Instagram on at thebrand.camp for ongoing tips and tricks. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you're going to want to hit that subscribe button because we're here every week.